Welcome, my friends, to the Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel Horror Podcast. I am the Tomb's proprietor, Headstone P. Gravely, and here I are two captive hosts, Shrey Lawson and James Hickson. Coffee. Um, I believe what you're saying is, welcome to Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel horror podcast. Coffee. That's right. That's uh, you're James Hickson, and I'm Trey Lawson, and this is the podcast where we talk all about the horror and monster comics of the Marvel universe. Coffee. Yes, exactly. Like uh, today's issues, uh, Monster of Frankenstein number five, Fear number 16, and Ghost Rider number one. Coffee. What? You, you've been bitten by a zombie? Coffee! Oh, oh, you want coffee. Gotcha. We, we should probably caffeinate before we get going. Uh, let's take a break to do that, and we'll be right back with uh, Monster of Frankenstein number five. Ugh. Oh, that's so much better. Don't talk, just listen. Under the black sun there is no hope. Only mystery, wonder, and danger. Black Sun Dispatches on the Cinefunks Podcast Network. Welcome back to Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel horror podcast. Our first issue today is Monster of Frankenstein number 5. Cover date is September 1973. Written by Gary Friedrich, penciled by Mike Plug. The inker is John Verporten. Colorist is Glennis Ween. Letterer is Artie Simic. And the editor, Roy Thomas. Our title today, The Monster Walks Among Us. The monster sails alone on his handmade raft 
toward a Scandinavian fjord. As he approaches, he sees a ship on fire, with someone roped to the mast. Unthinking, the monster dives into the water and rescues the woman, freeing her bonds and carrying her to the rocky shore. He approaches a nearby village and is shocked to discover that they are the people who sent the woman out to burn at sea. The monster takes refuge in a nearby barn, and when the woman finally awakens, she is terrified of her rescuer. She reveals that the villagers who tried to kill her are possessed by a demon in black robes, but that she could somehow resist the spell. It turns out her father was a warrior who once fought the demon with a silver sword, which now lies buried in a nearby tree, but that now he too is possessed by the demon. The monster takes the woman to her father, who rather than help her, tries to slay the monster. The old warrior refuses to give up, even though the monster is clearly stronger, until finally he dies. The monster then searches for medical supplies, and returns only to find another villager trying to kill the woman. The monster dispatches his new foe quickly, and then carries the woman to the highlands. Over the next few days, the monster tends to her wounds and considers that she might represent an end to the years of loneliness he has suffered. She too begins to care for the monster, and reveals that her name is Lenore. However, early the next morning, the monster discovers that Lenore has vanished. All that remains is the comb that he made for her. Further along the path, he finds a bloody wolf carcass, and then Lenore's tattered dress, as well as footprints leading to the village. He sneaks into the village to search for her, only to discover a ferocious werewolf, which the monster thinks must have taken Lenore. The monster and the werewolf engage in a brutal fight, and although the werewolf initially has the upper hand, the monster is able to draw the silver sword that belonged to Lenore's father, and he uses it to stab the beast. Then, to the monster's horror, the dying werewolf transforms into Lenore. He then realizes that the demon in black robes was a priest, and on the father's advice, the monster soon departs from the village once again in his search for the last descendant of Frankenstein. You know, I always like it when a comic book starts out by suggesting music to listen to while you're reading the book. Oh yeah, yeah, we, we open with the uh, Credence Clearwater Revival quote. Yeah, don't Which also, mm-hmm. also is a little bit of a giveaway at what kind of monster we're going to encounter. Yeah, uh, but the nice thing about that, though, is I'm an idiot and totally didn't realize what it was a hinting at. <laughs> so, the werewolf was a complete surprise to me. I, so, I figured there was going to be a twist in terms of, like, the woman not being what she seemed. I, I didn't quite, I didn't know where we were going with that until the werewolf showed up. Once the werewolf showed up, I was like, oh, I know where this is going. But, for a while, I, I didn't quite know that that's the twist that was going to happen yeah by the way shameless self-promotion um surprise werewolf is my new band name because <laughs> you know it's always fun to have a surprise werewolf right <laughs> um this was an okay sort of done in one story i actually really enjoyed this issue yeah i mean i it was nice to have the monster face another creature sort of equal in strength and 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 yet it maintained the emotional stakes that you expect from a monster of frankenstein story 
What I find interesting is that the werewolf depicted here is by Mike Plug, but it's also definitely not Jack Russell. Yeah, yeah. It reminds me more of Manwolf. Yes. It, it does look a bit more like Manwolf, and it's a bit more feral and bestial yeah. than, I think, the far more sympathetic werewolf we see in Werewolf by Night. Right. Yeah, no, this is a werewolf that we are not supposed to sympathize with until it transforms back into its human form. Yes. Also, I just uh, really love the uh, panel of the monster stabbing the werewolf. Like, that is that is impressively brutal for 1970s Marvel. Although, is it just me, or does this village seem oddly like a Viking village? A little bit. I mean... For a story that seems, for all... That should be taking place in, like, Victorian era, like, late 1800s. Right. This this village seems oddly like a medieval Viking village. Right. It seems a little more like 11th, 12th century instead of later. Yes. I could see that. Like, the 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 father, the, uh, the, the monster hunter. Like, he looks like sort of a character from, like, a Conan story or something. Oh no, he's totally somebody's D&D character. <laughs> the one-armed, one-eyed warrior. Yes, with an axe. Right. He he he's definitely somebody. You know, honestly, he could e- very easily be some recent versions of Thor. That's true. He's King Thor. <laughs> that's, that's fair. He's missing an he's missing an appendage, he's missing an eye, and he's got an axe. Yep. Yep. Um, one thing that, that I like about this issue is it's doing something that's going to become, I think, more of a thing with comics depictions of Frankenstein going forward is Frankenstein as a monster occupies this weird space of where he's really almost more of a science fiction monster than a horror monster because he's created through science. But this is sort of our first inkling of Frankenstein, monster of Frankenstein having dealings in the supernatural. Which also kind of brings me to another point they make here. When he's describing himself, it very much seems like he's talking about a past prior to Frankenstein bringing him to life. Um, where where was that? Because I, I missed that. Um, return, it's on page two. Okay. The third panel, or second and third panel. Um... Return to the eternal sleep from which he was awakened, first by Victor Frankenstein, then, 100 years later, by Robert Walton. And, though his body long since is mated with the soil from which it sprang, his tortured mind lives on, trapped inside a monstrous prison, and yet he still can feel compassion for his fellow man in time of need. And th- that, that term, awakened there, yeah. makes me think... Doesn't make me think of... A birth. Right. Because usually when we're talking about the Frankenstein monster being brought to life, we, we are thinking of a birth of a new entity. Right. Because it's he's made of parts, and so he wouldn't. he's not any one previous person. He is made of lots of other people. Yeah. But when they talk about it like this, you think, well, is the brain in the Frankenstein monster... A continuation of the person that was there before, right? Or is it a blank slate? 
And and the the old Universal movies got into this occasionally. Like uh, in the later sequels, like they they swap out the monster's brain for uh, Igor's brain. That's Y G O R the Lugosi character. Um, and mm-hmm. so for like some of those movies, like even though it's quote unquote Frankenstein's monster, it still has aspects of Igor's personality. This is the famous one where Lugosi did lines and then they just dubbed it all over with groans, right? That's that's the, well, actually more than that. In this was oddly enough, Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. Um, the monster is played by Lugosi um, because in the previous film, Igor's brain had been put into the monster's body, and yeah, so the monster had dialogue with Igor's personality. Um, and that dialogue actually fills in some holes in the story, explaining that, like, the monster's body has gone blind, and so that's why he's stumbling around and, and walking stiffly and and sort of waving his arms around. Um, but apparently, supposedly, um, test audiences thought it was hilarious that Frankenstein's monster sounded like Lugosi, and so they cut all of the scenes of dialogue. And... And thus, and thus, we get the stereotype of Frankenstein's monster walking, stiff arms outstretched, waving around, stumbling, that sort of thing. And like the lost audio track is like a lost holy grail of horror, right? Yeah. Well, and yeah, the the deleted scenes, lost audio. Uh, probably, if it ever, if it ever survived, it probably was destroyed in the Universal Fire several years back, where they lost a lot of stuff. Um, but yeah, it's as far as I know, except for test screenings, it's never been shown. Uh, the script exists. You can you can get a copy of the screenplay that has the dialogue in it. It's interesting because with Frankenstein's monster, you know they they talk about oh it's the brain of a maniac. Okay, but a maniac isn't just a maniac. A maniac mm-hmm. has memories and a family and. Right. You know, that's never really played with with Frankenstein, and that's also uh, all from the Universal movies. Like that's not from like the original story. It's not a madman's brain. It's the 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 sin of creating the monster is in playing God, not in choosing the wrong brain. Yes, uh, it, it's Which... not until the movies that you get this sort of. Uh, uh, like justification, scientific justification for the monster's violence. Darn it! Now that's really bugging me because, like, other things we've seen where a brain is transferred to a new body, we deal with the ramifications of that brain dealing with its past in this new form. Right. But that's very rarely done with the original Frankenstein monster. Right. Um, yeah. So, like I say, in in a lot of the movies, you tend to get that it is a, a traumatized or disturbed or or murderous brain, and thus the monster is also unstable and murderous. In the in the original story, though, like the monster is murderous because he is treated horribly by everyone. True, you're right. I think, and and that's the way they've been going with this story. Yeah, up until this point. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I don't know how much to read into that caption. I don't know how long... I don't know if they're going to stick to that, you know, or, or if it's going to come up again in more detail. It is interesting, though. Um, continuing with King Thor on page <laughs> 9. Yeah. N- notice he actually has the Mjolnir neck- necklace. Yeah. 
which is very prominently featured. Yep. But why does he die? Um, deliberately vague. Um, the monster is not sure if he's actually responsible for the death or if the man was so old that it was too much strain on his heart to keep fighting. Poor King Thor. Yeah, it's uh, the bottom of, I think, page 12. Dead. Have I killed again? Or perhaps it was his heart. He was very old. And yet he had those long, luxurious blonde locks. He, he did. So... I guess they have L'Oreal in the in the in the 1800s. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I think um, I think visually this issue is very good. The opening with the uh, the fjords and the the flaming boat and all that is really sort of interesting and evocative, and, and creates a good sense of action adventure. Would you say you're pining for the fjords? I, I think that's fair. <laughs> I, I did always like the little squiggly bits around the edges what's interesting here about the art is the art is good but there are times where it doesn't seem like Mike Plug art and I'm wondering if that's a John Verporten um, inking that could uh, do it yeah. into account there because it, it seems very different from it has in the past in certain places but it's still very good. Yeah, I think especially in close-ups, like facial expressions, it doesn't quite look the way I normally expect Plug to look. Right, it's a little more realistic and a little bit less stylized than his usual stuff. Mm-hmm. Which is not a bad thing, but it is different no. from past issues. He's still doing very interesting thing with panel layouts. Yes. Like, there's a great one on page 8 where he's kicking open the door, and the door kind of just pops out of the panel yeah yeah i like that a lot it's it's really good and the standoff between king thor and the viking on page nine the next page is really good too Mm -hmm. where you have them facing off against each other like you know ultimate wrestling like staring across the page at each other yeah and then but then you have the you know king thor himself framed in the middle there and then you have the, their fight at the bottom yeah like it's conveying it's, it's, emotion and action and positioning like it, it's it's doing a lot of different things all at once without being a traditional grid and i kind of appreciate that but also without derailing the word balloons yeah like you still know what order to read everything in <laughs> yes the, the order is still good but the composition is there too where i think a lot of times people try stuff like this and then the word balloons are just all over the place. Right, right. And you kind of have to figure out, like, well, well, where am I supposed to be reading this? Sort of like uh, some, uh, was it was it Marvel Spotlight? There was something we read where I, I think I, I said it was sort of like someone trying to imitate Plug but not quite getting it. Sutton. Oh, yeah. Sutton yeah. in his first issue of Marvel Spotlight. Yeah. And and that's that's the thing is you've got to be really good at layouts to to get experimental like that. And of course, I I think part of that is that you know Mike Plug's mentor was Eisner, right, right, whose spirit lays that layouts are just like some of the most amazing things in comics, for sure. And, so, and of course, the the actual fight scene. Um, with the werewolf at the end, it is a little more conventional. I don't see as much experimentation with layout there, but it's it's just really pretty to read. Like the the 
the werewolf design and the the way the action is conveyed um, really does make it feel like a brutal fight. Um, on page 17, we see the Frankenstein monster kill a feral hog. Mm-hmm. Unknown if there were 30 to 50 of them. <laughs> but he manages to do it with a knife. Right. So take that, NRA. Right. Uh, overall, I feel like this may have been my favorite issue of the, of the three we're covering today. Um, yes, probably. I, I think so. Just because the emotional impact is there, it, it, it it's really good stuff. Yeah, and it helps that it's a done-in-one story, you know? Like, we get a clear beginning, middle, and end. If you've been reading the series, um, then you can fill in some gaps with the opening of how he got to where he is on the raft. Um, and, of course, the ending sets up his continued search for the... Uh, last living relative of Frankenstein, which was mentioned in previous issues. So, like, for returning readers, there's some stuff on the bookends that to, to appreciate. But you could pick up this issue cold, and as long as you know what the Frankenstein's monster is, you're good to go. At the same time, it doesn't suffer some of the issues that other done-in-ones that we'll see in this episode have, but we'll get to that when we get there. Right. It's, it's a satisfying story. It It's not, like essential monster Frankenstein, but it doesn't feel like we've just been given filler. Yeah. Yeah. Um, give or take the really weird storyline. I'm gonna... Uh, and uh, we haven't really talked about the ending here with the man in black conspiring... turning the villagers against her, turning out to be a priest. Right. It, it's really good. It is, and it, it, it's interesting in that nothing of the story that Lenore told the monster was necessarily false. It was just from her point of view. Right, and her point of view is as a monster. Right. And I, I kind of like those stories where the things are told from the monster's point of view and you realize, oh, the, the heroes, they're just a bunch of murder hobos. <laughs> like oh you wander into my home and kill kill the people and steal their treasure yeah you're a bad person <laughs> also it's just it's funny to me that like this could almost read as an origin story for or an early story for uh dc's version of frankenstein's monster true he's over here wielding a sword and fighting werewolves and like being upset about it because he's a monster too yeah, and ooh, you know what I just thought of? That's kind of fun. What's that? What if the guy holding Lenore in the last page? Yeah, is her brother? Hmm. Well, because he has he looks a lot like the the sort of King Thor father guy. Yeah, like he has similar hair. He does. So, um, head because I doubt it. They will ever see these guys again. <laughs> I, I I think he's her brother. I, I could see that. I, that 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 is acceptable. Yeah, and um, and, and but talking about the difference in werewolf design from other Plug werewolves, um, the priest specifically refers to her as being possessed by a wolf demon, which is my other uh, band. <laughs> you mean that's not the hit single of Surprise Werewolf, Possessed by a Wolf Demon? 
Ooh, yeah. <laughs> uh, the the Wolf Demon Blues. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which, surprisingly enough, is a metal song. Right. I, I can see that. Um, just one quick thing to note is uh, in the uh, letters pages, they're still uh, hyping up uh, Marvel Spotlight featuring the Mark of Satan starring the devil. Are they? Yep. Hold up. Uh, the last letter. Uh, uh, starting next month, Ghost Rider gets its own monthly mag, and it's a brand new and a brand new feature debuts in Spotlight. It's called The Mark of Satan, and it stars the one and only Devil. Oh wow! Okay. So they evidently still had not landed on a title for that book, really. No, which is okay because we're not to that series yet. Right. Right. We're not going to get there until really the next month. I, I guess I just did not expect them to mention Mark of Satan so much leading up to it, knowing full well that it's not going to be that title when it does launch. No. And in the bullpen, they do also mention uh, Dracula Lives number three and Tales of Zombie number two. Right. Both of which we will be getting to. And they pimp for brother voodoo yep he's in the letters page too uh they mention uh brother voodoo in the newly revived strange tales comic the character find of 1973 yep where's it 74 <laughs> I, I don't know i can't remember what year we're in we're in 73 right now we're september 73 okay okay so we're in 73 sorry brain <laughs> fart more uh, coffee but yeah, no, I, I agree. I think this was a really solid issue. Um, probably probably my favorite Frankenstein issue since we've moved out of directly adapting the novel. Well, it's we've only had two, but I definitely agree it's a big step up from last issue. Well, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like It finally feels like the book is going somewhere instead of treading water. Yeah, the, the, with its vaguely... Um vaguely insulting depiction of natives right of vague origin right it's it's really good oh okay i just i just looked back flipped through the book again and that werewolf descending on the guy on page 24 is just great like the speed lines and the musculature it's really good and then him sinking the her sorry her sick sicking her teeth in to the guy and like the the panel after, yeah, is really good too. The sickening sounds of brutality fill his ears as the werewolf ends its victim's life. That is gruesome. Yeah, and like I really say, this this book stuff. gets away with a lot more explicit violence than I would have expected. Although I'm pretty sure the werewolf bites him here, like Frankenstein's monster. Yeah, I guess he's a, a immune to lycanthropy. Right, or because it's a demon and not a traditional werewolf, there's no curse. Although, a Franken-wolf or a, a Werestein would be an amazing thing now. Oh, yes. I want this. Yes. Like, does that just the, the segment that gets bitten turn into a werewolf? Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> so you just you get one really hairy patch every <laughs> full moon. The eternal questions of the universe here on Tomb of Ideas. <laughs> <laughs> we'll ask the hard questions so you don't have to. Right. 
Anyway, I think that does it for Monster Frankenstein number five. Although, isn't this the last one that's the Monster Frankenstein? Um, possibly. Uh, because as of issue six, um, it is the Frankenstein monster. Yeah, so this is actually the last issue of Monster Frankenstein. Right, um, because the, the numbering carries over, just like with fear becoming adventure into fear. Because next issue, this becomes uh, Frankenstein's monster. Yeah, you're right. So, we've covered the entire run of something. <laughs> <laughs> except, the calling... num- except the numbering continues. Uh, I'm still calling this a win. Huh. <laughs> oh, Although I think this might be the first run that we'll finish. I think so. Because it's how only, many issues is this last? It's uh, like 18. Okay, it's definitely going to be the, the, the first thing we finish. Although, I mean, Living Mummy doesn't last that long. That's true. That's true. It just got a later start. Yeah. So, it'll be interesting to see which one, which of these we finish first. Right. Anyway, speaking of other titles, we'll... And actually, speaking of Adventure into Fear, which we did a second ago, we'll be right back with Adventure into Fear number 16, featuring Man-Thing, after these messages. Hi, I'm John Wilson. And I'm Michael Kaiser. And we're the hosts of the podcast, Make Ours Marvel. You know, here we are in 2018, 10 years into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah, can you believe we live in a world where everyone's old Aunt Petunia knows who Iron Man is? It's crazy, right? So, to celebrate, we're on our mission to explore the roots of the Marvel Universe. You know you've thought about it. Some of you may have even done it. And now we're going to do it, too. We're diving back into the long boxes of Marvel's history and podcasting our way through the whole universe. All of it. Every superhero issue. And, if I can convince Mike, we'll even do Sergeant Fury. And it's not going to be one issue per episode. That'd take forever. (laughs) It's still going to take forever. But no, we're going to talk about as many comics as we can in an hour. Yep, an hour and, you know, maybe a little change. Every week, Marvel Comics. So it'd be super cool if you came along for the ride. Look for us every Friday at MakeOursMarvel.com. That's MakeOursMarvel.com. Or on iTunes and all the other usual podcasty places. And if you want to read along with us and send us your thoughts, we might even read emails. So until Avengers Infinity War gets a spinoff Warlock and the Infinity Watch TV show, Make Ours Marvel. Looking at America's dirtiest course, the Mile of Mud Track at Naples, Florida. And this is John Cameron Swayze reporting for Timex. We're here to test the durability of the Timex water-resistant watch by putting it through the same pounding these swamp buggies take. And here to help us is Doug Hendry, Sheriff of Collier County. There's the watch. Here we go. Well, you saw the pounding our swamp buggy took. You can see how I look. Now let's see how our Timex took it. 
There it is, proof that a Timex is really water resistant and sturdy. It's dust resistant and it's certainly mud resistant too. And handsome as it is rugged. There you have the famous Timex Marlin and next to it, the Timex Sportster designed for smaller wrists. Water resistant, dust resistant, built to take a beating. In fact, tests show that Timex watches withstand an impact of 2000 Gs and continue to run accurately. No wonder more people buy Timex than any other watch in the world. Welcome back to Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel Horror Podcast. My name is James Hickson. And our next issue this episode is Adventure into Fear 16. Cover date on this issue is September 1973. Title is Cry of the Native. Writer is Steve Gerber. Penciler is Val Myrick. Inker is Sal Trapani. Colorist is Petra Goldberg. Editor is Roy Thomas. And I'm going to apologize ahead of time, guys. I didn't have time to write a proper summary on this one, so the summary here is taken from uh, the Marvel Fandom Wiki, which is a fantastic resource if you are looking for information on Marvel Comics. When industrialist F.A. Schist plans on tearing down part of the swamp to build a new airport, the local Native Americans that live on the land try to sabotage the construction vehicles, and one of them is shot. Witnessing the spectacle, the man-thing brings the wounded native to the home of a doctor who begins treating the wounded man. In the following days, opposition and protest over Schist's plan begin to mount. However, nothing seems to sway Schist from stopping his development plans. However, when the workers begin to tear down the land, it brings about the Man-Thing, which tries to stop them from continuing their, continuing their construction. The workers try to kill the Man-Thing, but none of their methods of attack work, and when one worker tries to kill Man-Thing with a pickaxe, he soon becomes consumed with fear, and the Man-Thing grabs him, burning him to death. The event is enough to scare the other workers into fleeing the scene. Once the area is deserted, the Man-Thing simply returns to the swamp that is his home. I feel like F.A. Schist is some kind of joke that we're missing. Probably. I mean, that that seems likely. Um, like, I, I can't think of precisely what it might be, but this this is also very much the sort of, like, industrialist corporate person versus, like, nature. Like, this is a story that gets told a lot in the 70s and 80s. With uh, Manthing taking on the role of the Lorax. Right, right. He speaks for the trees. Exactly. And... Um, mm-hmm. Apparently, this is not the last time we will see him. Really? Yeah. Okay, because this totally feels like a filler issue. I know. I, I know. And that's my big complaint about the story. This issue feels very much like a filler issue. He has at least nine appearances. That's ins- like part of the reason I didn't write my own summary for this issue is it was hard to motivate myself to do so. Right. This issue feels so much like a filler issue. Yep, so this is the only appearance he has in Adventure into Fear. Um but he appears in one, two, three, four, five issues of Man Thing one issue of giant Size Man-Thing, and for some reason, two issues of Savage She-Hulk. That's weird. Uh, yeah, Franklin Armstrong Schist. Wow. And you have to be very careful about saying his last name, too. 
You really do. You got to make sure you get that that S in there at the end. Um, but no, it does feel sort of like a placeholder um, because the previous issue sort of ended an ongoing arc in a lot of ways, and so um, I don't know if they weren't ready to start another arc yet or didn't know where they were going next. But this doesn't. It feels like it's just sort of spinning the wheels. It feels like the previous issue should have been the end of Venture into Fear. And maybe the next issue was the launch of... Man-Thing number one. Yeah. 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 And um, I think we'll which kind of talk... Adventure into Fear goes for 31 issues. Does it really? Yeah. With Man-Thing? I don't know if he's in it the whole time. I think at some point he spins off into his solo book. I don't know what happens to this book after that, though. Hold on. Let me check. Oh, Morbius. Oh, it becomes a Morbius book, of course. Yeah. Yeah, so Man-Thing goes up to Fear 19, and then he spins off into Man-Thing Volume 1. And for the rest of the run, it's uh, Adventure into Fear, uh, the man called Morbius. Okay, right, because at some point, Vampire Tales ends. Right, which, if you listen to our coverage of that issue, not surprising. No, and not a great loss either. Right, right. Yeah, okay, um... So we have three more issues of Adventures in the Fear with Man-Thing. Right. But I think we'll have to keep covering Fear. We will, because Morbius comes in. Right, for the rest of the run. <laughs> <sighs> so many books, so yep. little podcasting Like, length. these characters keep spinning off without ending the books they're spinning out of. <laughs> I know. I know. Although it's... It's, there is a point, I think, where the Damon Hellstrom stuff in Marvel Spotlight ends, and he doesn't spin off into his own title, and the next the next title, or the next headline character, is not a horror character. Oh, thank goodness. Right? <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> um, so, I mean, looking back at this issue, um, criticisms of plot and character aside, I do like the cover a lot. Oh yeah, good cover. Um, like, you've got Man-Thing facing off against the construction, like, machine. I think, I think my biggest problem with this issue is I've come to expect more from the weird and wacky world of Steve Gerber. Right. Well, this is sort of the other side of Gerber, though, because he also had this sort of, like, tendency toward the, like, anti-corporate, anti-capitalist, like, hippie mentality of, like, you know civilization versus nature kind of thing, taking the side of nature. Mm-hmm. And, and in a way, that does lend itself to a Man-Thing book, because that's very much the struggle of the title character. Um, but it it's, a de- it's definitely a different tone than the bizarre dimension-hopping, like, horror-fantasy stuff of the previous issues. Although there's some good stuff in here, like on page 25 with the creature coming out of the muck after getting run over by a bulldozer. Oh yeah, that's great. It's really good. Um, the way he's sort of like rebuilding himself out of the muck. Yes. Um, and, you know, it's another very dated, uh, insensitive depiction of Native Americans. But, I, I... I think more well-intentioned 
than, say, what we saw in Ghost Rider, or in Marvel Spotlight featuring Ghost Rider. Yes. Like, it's it's equally stereotypical, but maybe, at least it's it's trying to do something positive, you know? There's no reason for them to be dressed like they are. No, that part is ridiculous. I mean, they kind of name-check it and be like, well, you know, this is part of our... This is part of the reason... It, it, it's like part of our activism. Right, and th- there's there's this sense that the the leader of the sort of group of young, rebellious natives, uh, Black Eagle, like, it seems like his part of his goal is to deliberately throw back to their older ways and, like, parts of their culture that they've let slip. At the same time, it's kind of like, eh, it makes them very much the other. It does. It, it, it's... Especially, like, the one panel of them, like, dancing around the fire. I, I, I just kind of feel like it infantilizes them. Yeah, a little bit. Well, and even, like, what should have been a really cool moment when they stop the advancing machinery uh, by firing uh, a flaming arrow as a warning. Like, that should have been way cooler than it was. And part of why it's not is because the whole time it's leaning on some very dated visual depictions and tropes. Uh, speaking of that earlier attack, it, the doctor that Man-Thing takes him to in the swamp, is that the same doctor from the issue with the baby? Yes, I believe it is. I think Dr. Thompson is also in that other issue. Because he looks completely different. I feel like he was a white-haired old man in that issue. <laughs> that that probably is true. Um, let's see. Uh, yes, it is the same doctor. Interesting. And do you kind of... And yes, and yes, his appearance is completely different. Nice. Gotta love visual consistency in comics. Um, quoting from the Marvel fandom wiki, in their second appearance in Fear Number Sixteen. Warren and Margaret Thompson appeared lightly younger than the first time they appeared. Margaret, definitely so. Uh, I mean... Yeah. I'm gonna blame it on the shifting energies of being next to a nexus of realities. That, that'll that do it. Yeah. That, the, like, you know, they, they shifted time slightly. <laughs> yeah. That's the ticket. They were replaced by their uh, younger counterparts from the Ultimate Universe. Oh. Well, they're better off there than in the Ultimate Universe. This is true. Where'd they be dead? Yep. Although apparently they're bringing that back, maybe? Supposedly. I don't know how that's going to work. I don't think I want that to work. I don't (laughs) think so either. There was a point where the Ultimate Universe deserved to die. With the possible exception of Miles Morales. Yeah. Yeah. But, um... Sorry, I just have a major problem with the way that that universe depicted Captain America. Oh, me too. Me too. We're, Among other characters. He, he's basically a fascist. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, the, I mean, our previous storyline does get name-checked here. Right. Our, our supporting cast shows up for the protest. They show up for, like four panels in total right right 
We don't even see Jennifer and Andy's face. Right. And uh, and we're set and clearly setting up for something that's going to be more of an ongoing story because uh, um, the grandfather says that that he's worried about Jennifer ever since the psychic bond was broken, but that he can't say why yet. Yeah. And there there's concern about the construction at the airport starting the whole business back up again. Right, because they will be disrupting the magical energies of the swamp. Yes. Which, I'll take it, but it still feels like a filler story. Right, right. Like I say, apparently, <laughs> this, this, this industrialist uh, does show up at least nine more times in Man-Thing and, weirdly, She-Hulk stories. Somehow, because yep. he's barely a character. Right. He's a caricature, in fact. Right. But the art's good. Um, the, the When we get Man-Thing like, in action, um, it's exciting. It's well done. Uh, I like the confrontation with the construction equipment and the, the construction workers. Yeah. Um, it's, it's not a like groundbreaking issue, and it's certainly no. not the best Man-Thing issue we've read. But like dated depictions of Native Americans aside, it, it's, it's not a bad issue. It's just spinning its wheels. Yeah. And it makes me really, really want to move on with the wacky hijinks, because that's what I come to, to a Steve Grover book for. For, for sure. Like, bring bring on Howard. Shh, I didn't want to mention that part, because, like, <laughs> uh, I've intentionally not looked up what Howard and Duck's first appearance is. Um, I actually don't know what issue it is, either. No, because I, I actually want to be surprised when Howard shows up. Like, I have the whole collection of the Gerber run uh, through Comixology, but I've, I've, not, I've not flipped ahead to find that. I've been trying to just stick to the schedule for the show i mean i've read the essentials like yeah. the essential howard the duck but i'm pretty sure the essential howard the duck doesn't include the first appearance of howard the duck it's probably just the solo book it is yeah and so i'm really I, I i'm really looking forward to howard I, I damn it i feel like we have to cover howard on the show i feel i at, at the very least some of the early appearances we'll, we'll see where we go from there but he's definitely a spinoff of this Marvel horror line. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of the ideas presented there are very Bronze Age ideas. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And again, there's a point where he becomes a vampire. Um, the letters page for this issue is kind of fun. Um, You're avoiding the topic, Lawson. <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> All right, what about the letters page? Uh, the first letter from uh, Ms. Andra Thorpe um, actually uh, offers a possible scientific formula for how Man-Thing's burning power might work. Ooh, that's cool. Um, and along with a, a sort of layman's description of what that formula means. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, in, in the, the reply, uh, they, say, they, they offer her a no prize. Uh, one gooey, gloppy, slightly charred no prize. Um, but also, now will someone pick up where Andra's missive leaves off and explain to us the exact relationship of the prophecy of Zared Na to the science involved in Ted Salas's gruesome transmutation? If you don't, Steve Gerber will have to figure it out all by himself. 
And when it comes to science, well, Peter Parker, he's not. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> oh, that's really cool that she came in and be- and was like, here's the science. Yep. <laughs> and they were like, but what about the magic? <laughs> and she's like, I'm a scientist, not a magician. Right, right. Uh, but yeah, uh, so yeah, okay issue, not great. Um, so good action at the end. Um, hoping for more of the Kale family next time. Right. Speaking of okay issues, we'll be right back with Ghost Rider number one. (laughs) (laughs) Foreshadowing! (laughs) Oh, that's awful. (laughs) But true. (laughs) We'll be right back. If you take two old punk rockers who are past their prime, put them in front of a movie screen and give them a podcast, what do you get? Cinema punks. Cinepunks. It's the mixtape of movies. Here come the wild ones. Here come the screaming demons. Tearing up the Daredevil road. Challenge. Screaming demons. Up the ramp. Round and round. You control the speed. Through the wall of fire. Screaming demons. Tearing up the road. Race them to win. The Daredevil Challenge race set. Speed control, ramps, timer, and a screaming demon. Welcome back to Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel horror podcast. I'm Trey Lawson, and we're back with our third and final issue for the day, Ghost Rider number one, September 1973. Our title is A Woman Possessed. Written by Gary Friedrich, penciled by Tom Sutton, inks are by Sid Shores, colorist is Glennis Ween, and the editor, Roy Thomas. Early in the morning, a man places a gold cross on the grave of his mother, Victoria Hellstrom. Meanwhile, on the other side of the continent, Johnny Blaze speeds across Arizona toward the woman he loves, and potentially toward a violent encounter with the police. He recalls the events of previous Marvel spotlights. As Snake Dance poisoned Roxanne, his rushing her to the hospital as the Ghost Rider, and his fight with the Witch Woman. Just then, Blaze encounters a police roadblock. He breaks through, but the police are able to shoot him in the shoulder. He loses control of the bike and crashes, and the police rush him to the hospital. Meanwhile, Snake Dance discovers his daughter Linda Littletrees, now called Witchwoman, comatose and soulless as a result of her deal with Satan. Bart Slade visits Roxanne in the hospital and suggests that Johnny's absence from the stunt show is ruining their business just as the police arrive at the hospital with an unconscious blaze. Back at the bedside of Linda Littletrees, Snake Dance waits in the hope that the demon will let her soul rest. Meanwhile, Sam Silvercloud rushes out and calls one Damon Hellstrom in Boston. The mysterious Hellstrom agrees that it sounds like a case of possession and plans to take the next flight to see for himself. He must, for only by fighting against such demonic evil can he negate the stigma of his birth, signified by a pentagram birthmark on his chest. Snake Dance stands vigil over his daughter. As he drifts to sleep, 
Satan materializes and possesses Linda's body in order to capture the soul of Johnny Blaze. The possessed witchwoman breaks free and rushes out of Snake Dance's cabin. Back at the hospital, a badly injured Johnny Blaze slowly regains consciousness. Despite his injuries, as the sun sets, Blaze transforms once again into the Ghost Rider, recovering from his injuries in the process. He sneaks out of the hospital and, lacking a motorcycle, hails a taxi to return to Copperhead Canyon so he can make his scheduled jump. Satan, in the form of the Witch Woman, attempts to confront Blaze in the hospital, but vanishes when it is revealed that he has disappeared. At the canyon, Bart tries to make the dangerous jump before Blaze can arrive. At the last moment, a gust of wind throws his bike off balance, and Bart crashes. Ghost Rider arrives, but is seen by the police, so he escapes with Roxanne in a stolen truck. Back at Snake Dance's cabin, Damon Hellstrom arrives, and although Linda has disappeared, he thinks he might still be able to help. At no point in this comic, the first comic to bear his name, does the actual Ghost Rider ride a motorcycle. No. He hails a cat. He hails a taxi. And steals a truck. Yes. He, on the cover, he rides a motorcycle. And Johnny Blaze rides a motorcycle. But at no point... Uh, well, to be fair, in, in some of the flashbacks, he's on a motorcycle. Okay. But there's a flashbacks. They are flashbacks. This feels a lot like the first issue of Werewolf by Night. It's not great. It, it also feels like it's three different issues crammed together. So are these like the last couple of issues of Marvel Spotlight? <laughs> Featuring I mean, Ghost Rider put, shoved into one book? Sort of, yeah. It's. I really was not expecting Linda Littletree to be seen again. Um, no. Me either. I kind of thought that was the end of that story. I'm also really surprised that like so many pages of Ghost Rider number one are used to introduce Damon Hellstrom. Right? Who, in the first appearance, because guys, this is Damon Hellstrom's first appearance, I was surprised as anyone. I'm like, yeah. wait a minute, is this his first appearance? Because I knew he was coming next issue in Marvel Spotlight. Right. No, this is, this is, um, first appearance. I'm definitely getting a John Constantine vibe from him. Definitely. He, he's got the trench coat, he's got the sort of brooding backstory, he's got the, the like, com compulsion to atone for something... Like, this this is proto-Constantine here. He's working as... Because I've been catching up on uh, Legends of Tomorrow. Right. Because I'm way behind on all the Arrowverse shows. And when we first are introduced to John Constantine, he's doing something very much like this. Well, first introduced to Constantine as a regular player on the show. Let's put right. it that way. He's very much doing an exorcism that reminds me a lot of what we see here. Right. And that's also very much the version of Constantine from his solo TV show that just lasted that one season. I'm so glad he's coming back. I'm so glad he Me got too. brought back. He, Me too. It, it's, it, it's, I still need to watch the animated thing they did for him. Oh, I didn't watch that. Damn it. Because uh, they did that like in between his appearance on Arrow and his appearance on Legends, I think. Oh, what was that called? Uh, oh, what was the title of it? Uh... Because I know there was a thing where he met Batman. Well, yeah, they did the Justice League Dark, uh, like, direct-to-video movie. And that was the guy from Constantine, right? Yes, and that's getting a sequel. Oh, lovely. Um, there's going to be a Justice League Dark 2 that's animated. 
Uh, but yeah, uh, so the CW, it originally aired on their online platform, CW Seed, sort of like the Vixen animated thing did. Which I still haven't watched, which really need to. Um, it's called Constantine City of Demons. Um, and it was it was cut together as a feature-length film and put on DVD. Oh. Um, and apparently that one is an adaptation of uh, Hellblazer All His Engines, which was part of the Vertigo run. Uh, that makes sense. But, yeah, okay. You can tell how exciting this first issue of Ghost Rider is, guys. We diverged to talk about Constantine. It's just... Uh... Honestly... Th- the problem with Ghost Rider number one is it makes me want to read more about Damon Hellstrom. <laughs> You're not wrong. Like, that's not how that's supposed to work. <laughs> no, it, it really isn't. Like, I, the way this issue ended, I could sort of care less about Ghost Rider. And the problem is we've, they've done nothing so far in Ghost Rider books to make us give a damn about anybody in the books. Right. Like, Bart um, Slade dies in this issue, and I'm like, okay. I honestly had to look up to remind myself who he was. Wow. Yeah, okay, I could see that. That that That's bad. Where my The first note that I wrote down uh, as I was reading this issue was, will we never be free of Snake Dance? <laughs> Apparently not. But... And then my second note was that... Uh, the visual of Ghost Rider hailing a cab is just hilarious. You're, you're not wrong there. <laughs> I had a point, but now you got me devolved into giggling. Okay, so like, I hate to keep on comparing this to Werewolf by Night, but you kind of have to because that, they—that's the—that's the other example we have of a book that transitioned from Spotlight to solo title. Right, and they very much use the same pattern but with werewolf by night you got invested in the sporting cast like Mm -hmm. if buck cohen had died somehow in the first issue of of werewolf by night knock on wood god forbid cross yourselves (laughs) but i would have been you know we would have had a memorial episode we've played bagpipes you know we would pour one out over his grave but bart slade were just like who right Right, like, Roxanne, I care a little bit about because she was somewhat interesting in those early issues. But part of it is, for the last two or three issues of Spotlight, Johnny Blaze has been separated from his supporting cast, and so you don't really get any of their relationship anymore. Right. Although, there is a girlfriend of Jack Russell, which we've not seen since her first appearance, and we really don't give a damn about. I mean, that's... what. Jack Russell doesn't need a beard. No. He grows one every month. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, uh, for what it's worth, uh, we've been complaining, or at least confused, about why they're deciding to introduce Hellstrom in Ghost Rider number one. Apparently, their their whole uh, plan for this was to make uh, this story arc into a trilogy that, like, carries over from... Ghost Rider 1 to Ghost Rider 2 to Marvel Spotlight 12. Okay. Well, at least we have a reading order now. Um, And they are still referring to it as the Mark of Satan. And they're still saying it's going to be Satan himself, where obviously 
in the first issue, which I have browsed through briefly, uh, just for creating the correct order to cover these in, it's decidedly not Satan. Right. And it had to be in production, but before this point. Had to have been. And I'm just like, it doesn't make sense. Right. Um, and like, is it, is it going to be like the same Satan that manifested in this issue and, and possessed Linda? You know what? I would kind of love a series that's just Linda Little Tree <laughs> possessed by Satan. And like, they just kind of go back and forth, kind of like Rick Jones and Captain Marvel. <laughs> <laughs> but, but like, is, but like, is that the Satan that is Hellstrom's father? No, I can't abandon this thought. So, like, she's living this swinging college life, and, <laughs> and Satan just comes out occasionally. I would read this book. The mini, li- the mini, the mini loves of Linda Littletree. It's like a romance comic. <laughs> she just, she's I mean, also possessed by Satan. I, that sounds better than this book. It so does. I would read that book. Because, like I say, it feels like so many different stories jumbled together. The stuff with Linda Littletree feel and, and I guess Hellstrom by extension feels like one story. The stuff in the hospital feels like a totally different comic, which is a really shit point to start your first issue of a title. Right. I mean, we talked about this in Werewolf by Night too, where you know, the 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 first issue of Werewolf by Night seemed like it should have been the last issue of the Marvel Spotlight run. Because it was still wrapping up story beats from the previous arc. Our main character started the first issue as a statue. Right. And 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 this issue is sort of one-upping that by saying, oh no, not only is issue number one going to be like the middle part of an ongoing story with very little like introduction to the character, but on top of that... That story arc is then going to continue into issue number two, and then into a totally different title. Uh, which, you know, you gotta remember, these are appearing on newsstands. Right. This isn't even, like, direct market yet. Right. These are showing up in drugstores. And I'm just like, how the hell is anyone supposed to keep track of this? Right. Yeah, it's... It's not great. Um, we haven't talked about the art. What, what, what did you think of the art? The art is static. Yeah, it's boring. Bart Slade looks like Prince Valiant, by the way. He does. He, he, he's got that sort of, like, uh, old-fashioned haircut. <sighs> that, the page boy look. And I, I know it's hard to compare other artists to Mike Plug, but Sutton was getting better. Yeah. And then there's this issue where it's like, okay... There was this MST3K uh, comic released by Dark Horse a few months ago. Yeah, yeah, I've got every issue. Yeah, and the 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 story in there, one of the stories in there is Tom Servo is put into like this boy detective story from uh-huh. the 1950s, where everything is very static and Hardy Boys like, and that's kind of what this feels like. Yeah, everything is very static and folky, and it feels like. I don't know, a Golden Key comic from the 1950s. Yeah. It's not the dynamic Marvel style. and It really isn't. And it's weird because they keep on trying to shoehorn in these dynamic Marvel ideas. Like, when your title character's whole deal is 
riding a motorcycle, the the comic should feel more vibrant and 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 forward. Like, there should be more momentum to the art. Exactly. It it. it it this should feel like the comic book version of a Fast and Furious film with horror elements, right? Right. Which it just occurs to me is the perfect way to do a Ghost Rider movie. Yes, yes. <laughs> or for the seventies, I guess you would say it ought to feel like one of the old like biker movies, like uh, I don't know, Easy Rider or something. Which they show they could do. Yeah. Because there was that really fun fight with Jack Russell and the bikers. Right. Right. Where they're exploding so, through the windows of houses. Yeah. Uh, also, Bart Slade talks about how he has to do this jump in order to save the show. Mm-hmm. I'm like, how is the show dying? Johnny Blaze has only been gone for like a day. Right. Like, the scheduled show has not even happened yet. Like, it's they're not, like, it is just now the day of the show. Yes. And, like, I get that, like, you you may have invested a lot of money into this canyon jump, and if the canyon jump doesn't happen, that's going to be a huge financial liability for you. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, he's talking like the show is dying because the star is never around. Where have we seen that? Right. Right. We, we haven't. Like, Johnny um, Blaze, like, shot a bunch of adrenaline into the show when he showed up as the Ghost Rider. Right. But this is the first time he's not actually not made a show. Right. Also, what time of day is this jump happening? Um, pink. Right. That that's what I thought. Pink. Uh, it pink is pink o'clock. o'clock. <laughs> uh, which apparently is when Johnny Blaze transforms into the Ghost Riders when the sky is pink. I think we found our episode title. <laughs> Um, just, I, I just noticed that, uh, on the back of the taxi that Ghost Rider takes, uh, there's a Marvel ad. Oh yeah, read Marvel. Yeah, that was good. I noticed that the first time through, and I'm like, yeah, that's funny. Um, we've got some house ads for Dracula Lives and Tales of the Zombie, um, both of which look more fun than this issue. Yes. Heck, we have a thing for, um, military miniatures. Oh yeah, yeah, I saw that. Which looked more fun than this issue? <laughs> Fair. Um, I, I, I'm sorry. I, I don't like beating up on comics because I love comics, but I didn't have fun reading this. No. And I really didn't have fun having to write down the plot summary because <laughs> that was like sort of tedious. <laughs> and honestly, that is when a comic has failed. When you do not have fun reading it in any capacity yeah it's a failure like if you can have fun like just laughing at the ridiculousness of the comic or something like that that's fine but you can't even do that with this issue it is just so bland and i'm hesitant to put too much of that on friedrich even though we've had our criticisms of friedrich's writing in the past but this feels a lot to me like an editorial mandate that we want we want this like weird three issue crossover from Spotlight to Ghost Rider back to Spotlight to happen. I suppose it just feels like maybe too much is put on Friedrich's plate here. Yeah, well, like I say it feels like we're getting bits and pieces of several different issues shoved together. 
And we were sick of this whole storyline with the canyon and the snake dance when it started. Yeah, like, how long ago was that? What issue of Spotlight did that start? I feel like it was five or six issues ago. Right. (sighs) And we liked the Witch Woman issue. That one was fine. It's just... Make it stop. Yeah. Make it stop. Don't carry it over to the main character's series. Right. Just end it. The last issue was fine as a way of ending. Like, you could have opened issue one with Blaze making it back to the hospital and checking on Roxanne and then moving on to a new town and a new adventure. I kind of... Okay, I gotta ask. Brian, Chris, host of Inner Demons, when does Ghost Rider get good? (laughs) Tell us, please. Because if, like, I'm inclined to say sometime in the 80s. Ah. But that's part, that's me mostly knowing the Danny Ketch era, which I like. I don't, I don't think I've ever read this first volume before. So I have no idea what's coming next. But if it's more of this, it's going to get rough. God, please give me serenity to accept the things I cannot change because they happened ten years before I was even fucking born. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of hard in the year 2019 to shake your fist and say, make this comic better. It is. And we know that this character has a huge fan base, a huge following... Yeah, and I'm just... and I get that. Like, it's a cool concept, and I have read really good Ghost Rider comics. Like, I un- I understand the appeal. I haven't, but, but these early issues are rough. Uh, it actually occurs to me that I've never read a Ghost Rider comic. Really? Aside from the stuff for this show? Yeah, I've never read a straight Ghost Rider comic. I've read him like showing up as a guest star in other books. Yeah. Oh no! There's a really great issue of uh, Avengers where uh, Ghost Rider takes out all of the Avengers. Yeah, I, I, I'm sure I read that because I read I've read all the Avengers from the beginning to at least the end of the Kurt Busiek run. So I, on a on a on an intellectual level, I know I've read Ghost uh, comics that Ghost Rider appears in, but like mm-hmm. just straight Ghost Rider books, I started from the beginning yeah. with this podcast. And I've yet to see a good one. <laughs> like I say, I know later stuff. So I, I like a lot of stuff in the Danny Ketch era, which is 80s, 90s. Um, right. And the, uh, the from a few years ago, the all-new Ghost Rider with Robbie Reyes as the new Ghost Rider. That's a really great comic with a cool visual style. Um, yeah. I, but, I've but seen Volume Ghost one, Rider. Volume 1 is a blank slate for me. I've seen Ghost Rider other things. I've seen the Nick Cage movie, the first one. I've sure. seen the second one. And I've seen a few episodes of the Robbie Reyes stuff in uh, Ages of S.H.I.E.L.D. But again, that's another show where it's like I have to force myself to watch it. But I, I hate to say this because I do a Marvel horror podcast. I don't like Ghost Rider right now. It's, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, these early issues just are not doing a whole lot for me. Um, which is, a, and I guess it's the difference of, I know at least... In the distant future, there are things to look forward to with this character that I know I will enjoy, but I I have no idea how long it's going to take for us to get to that point. True, I, I am kind of looking forward to Champions. Um, Ghost Rider runs for 81 issues in its first volume. 
how? How? Because, <laughs> like, Werewolf by Night's the better book, and it only lasts, what, like, 40 issues? Um, yeah, I think so. Um. Hold on. I'm checking. Werewolf by Night. I think we're going to get a new penciler soon, though. Yeah, Werewolf by Night lasts 43 issues. And apparently at one point he fights Iron yeah. Man. I can see that. Uh, it just... But yeah, apparently Ghost Rider Volume 1 is 81 issues. Um, I think we're going to get uh, Jim Mooney penciling for a little bit. And then it's going to become sort of a revolving door of artists for a while. Always a market um, quality. Until uh, Don Perlin is going to take over sometime around the mid-20s. Which I like Don Perlin. He also did... He's done some... He did some Werewolf by Night. He did some Moon Knight. He did some Defenders. Okay. At the risk of spoiling things and looking too far ahead, how long was Gary Friedrich on the book? Um, that is a good question. Um, sorry, I'm trying to get to the Ghost Rider Volume 1 page. Um, so, Ghost Rider Volume 1, um, it's not giving me creative teams. Um, it should not be this hard to find this information. Um. Okay, he wrote issues 1 through 4 and number 6. Okay, so, yeah, so we'll be getting probably a revolving door of creative teams for a little while. I think it does eventually settle down sometime around the 20s. It's, it'll be, yeah, because, honestly... I've enjoyed his Frankenstein stuff. Yeah, yeah. So it's not it's not his fault, I don't think. I just don't know. We'll see. Um also this is apropos of nothing, but uh so uh, as we record this, uh we're heading into the weekend of Soda City Comic Con here in Columbia. Um and Michael Rooker is one of the featured guests, Yondu from Guardians of the Galaxy. Um and he did an interview with uh local media where he talked about uh when he does photo ops with kids and he says quote i can see their little brains going wait a minute this is not yondu he sounds like yondu but he's not blue mom (laughs) so i say listen the reason i'm not blue is because i can't be blue here on earth so i have to have my human makeup on nice that just seems kind of sweet also a really good place to end the episode because, honestly, I don't think we could say anything we haven't said already about Ghost Rider. Yeah, it's... I, I wish I liked it more. I wanted number one to be a fresh start for this book, but instead it feels like a lot more of the same. Almost like retreads a lot of the same, too. Yeah. Like, I mean, how much of the issue was, like, either flashing back to or retelling events that we had already seen in Spotlight? A lot of it. Yeah. So that's unfortunate. Um, hopefully it gets better sooner rather than later. Um, it doesn't give me high hopes for Marvel Spotlight featuring Son of Satan, but who knows? It might surprise me. I think Son of Satan is the most interesting part of this comic, so maybe that does bode well for when he gets a solo appearance. Yeah. Although next episode we will be talking about a new character, uh, because we're going to be covering Two of Dracula number 12 as well as Strange Tales number 169 with Brother Voodoo. I am excited for this. I've never read the earliest Brother Voodoo stuff, um, but I have been a big fan of the character 
as he exists in sort of the contemporary Marvel universe. Right. And we'll also be covering Werewolf by Night number nine. So, listeners, make sure you cover that one or we'll get out of, we'll get out our voodoo dolls of you. Right. <laughs> uh, so do we want to wrap things up here? Yeah, that's probably a good time to wrap things up. Speaking of our lovely listeners, uh, you can always contact us at our email address, tombofideas at gmail.com, our Twitter account, at tombofideas, our Facebook account, facebook.com slash tombofideas, and of course, you can always find us at our home on the Cinepunks podcasting group. Yep, and that is at cinepunks with an X dot com. Um, and uh, you can also check out their other great podcasts, uh, the flagship Cinepunks uh, show, uh, Horror Business, Black Sun Dispatches, Wine and Cheese, um, our, our sort of sister podcast, the other comics podcast of the group, uh, The Flight Stuff, going issue by issue through the original run of Alpha Flight, um, and uh, lots more. Uh, also, uh, when you do uh, subscribe and, and download our show, please leave us a review uh, and, and rate us, uh, whether that's on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. Just uh, click that button, um, help us out. It helps other people see our show. Um, they, they tell me that the algorithms uh, really like to see feedback from listeners, so uh, please uh, help us out and do that. Speaking of our, our flagship podcast, they just celebrated their 100th episode. Yeah, which is awesome. Uh, they, they've been uh, at this for a while now and uh, showing no signs of stopping. So uh, congrats to Liam and the rest of the team for uh, hitting episode 100. Um, so uh, I think that wraps it up. Uh, make sure you tune in next time as we get back to some uh, favorite standbys with uh, Dracula and Werewolf. Uh, and also dive into a brand new character. Yep. So, something to look forward to. Yep. Until next time, Tomb Believers. Coffee. We, we, we've... Do, do we need to get a new Keurig for the tomb? Coffee. You have been listening to the Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel Horror Podcast. Until next time, Tomb Believers... Excelsior! <laughs>